Welcome to Refuge Freedom Stories, brought to you by Refuge Ministries Canada. For the next half hour, your hearts will be filled with hope as you hear real-life stories from individuals that have been changed by the power of God. Enjoy the show. Hi, this is Dave Shear with Refuge Freedom Stories. Today I'm interviewing John Tavner. How are you today, John? I'm good, thanks, Dave. How are you? Good. John is our, our studio tech editor, uh, recorder. Um, there's probably a lot more technical terms to use to describe what John does for us. And John is a, a big supporter of Refuge Ministries Canada and an integral part of Refuge Freedom Stories. I'm so glad to have you with us today, John. I'm happy to be here. Thank you very much. How did you come to know Christ in the first place, John? It's a, it's a lengthy story, and I will try to hit the high points and the low points along the yes. way. So, so I came to Canada when I was six years old and uh, from England. I was born there. So my, my dad, um, he came and he started working for the uh, CBC, actually, as a producer, director. But my biggest memory of my parents was that they fought all the time. Like when you think about uh, like some of the soldiers that have gone through war and they come back with uh, PTSD issues, you know, post-traumatic stress disorder. And, uh, you know, like they have some really terrible memories that have changed their life, right? And, uh, and they have like uh, blank spaces in their mind or their memory because they're, they, they just can't physically or mentally deal with what's happened, right? And, you know, in Corinthians, it talks about, in Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about, you know, we see through a glass darkly or dimly, you know, but then we'll see face to face. And I think in God's grace, he has allowed me to block those things out of my mind because they're just so, so horrible. My mind just will not allow me to, to remember it. So I have complete blocks of time where I don't remember anything. As I, as I grew up, um, when, when I got to be 11 years old, my parents divorced. So my dad left, went to move in with uh, a younger lady. And I remember standing in the courtroom during the divorce proceedings at 11 years old and the judge looking at me and asking me who I wanted to live with. Okay. I didn't want to live with my dad because, you know, the situation he was in. And I didn't want to live with my mom either because she was just so poisoned and bitter and angry. But I was only, I was a young kid. And like to put that kind of question upon a kid that young, I thought was crazy. But, and in my heart, I wanted to say, I don't want to live with either of them, but yeah. I didn't. So I, I said, well, I'll live with my mom. So I stayed with my mom, me and my brother. I can remember three years being on welfare. I can remember my mom not being able to have any money to buy Christmas presents. So we got Christmas presents from the Toronto Star Children's Fund. The times were tough. And because my mom was so angry and bitter, I grew up in like a really poisoned environment. It, it got embedded in me. I had a real hatred for my dad. And of course, because I only heard the one side of the argument, right? You know, I only ever heard all the bad stuff. And uh, so that really colored my, my view and created some bitterness and anger in my own heart. I knew that the only way that I was ever going to achieve anything in life was to get an education. And I had a huge burden of responsibility on my shoulders growing up because times were really bad. And even when I was working part-time as a young teenager, I would still give money from my paycheck to my mom to help pay the rent or buy groceries or whatever I could do, right? 
So anyway, getting back to this burden of education. So I went to, because I came from England, I was a year ahead. So I started high school at 13. I was only four foot 11, 98 pounds or something like that, right? You know, and then yeah. grade 10 in the summer between grade 10 and grade 11, I grew from 4'11 to 5'7 in two months. Wow. And I remember my legs aching like crazy. So I was a year ahead. So, so when I got to grade 13, I was taking a full schedule of courses like, you know, physics, biology, chemistry, uh, algebra, calculus, relations and functions, English, uh, advanced French, all like the top level courses that I could take. But because it was a, a struggle, uh, there were some that I didn't get good enough marks in. But because I was a year ahead, I went back for an extra year. So, you know, I graduated when I was 19 with on the honors diploma, right? And uh, so anyway, when I, I remember I tried out for the football team. And I think out of pity, they let me stay. And uh, so I, <laughs> I would, because uh, I was only 135 pounds, right, as a white you know. Um, Sobbing never, never played football before in my life. You know, I wasn't built to, really to play football, but they let me out. Let me stay on the team. Nice. So anyway, I remember like after school, I'd have to do my homework in the cafeteria before practice started. And uh, so one day I was doing my homework and I was sitting at the table writing and I could see somebody kind of standing in front of me. And I looked up and, and one of the, the cheerleaders was there. She chatted with me and we got to know each other. We ended up, uh, we started dating. Well, she was a Christian girl. I, I had always had a belief in God. I can clearly remember I had a dream that I was sitting on a, on a platform somewhere playing a white piano, but it felt like I was in the heavenlies. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, when I was growing up, before my parents grew up, we lived in a, in a semi-detached house and our neighbor was uh, Reverend Good. He was an Anglican minister. And, uh, and I remember, you know, talking to him off and on about God and things like that. Right. But, uh, but anyway, when I, when I had met this girl, um, started dating. She talked to me, obviously asking me about God and invited me to her church. So I started going to her church and I remember, I don't remember the exact date, but I remember one service where I felt the Holy Spirit pressing upon my heart that I needed to give my life to Christ. So I did that. I went up to the altar. I gave my life to the Lord and uh, to Lord Jesus Christ. And I remember like I, I had this joy. I had this incredible joy come over me and I had the like the, the smile of a Cheshire cat on my face that you couldn't wipe off no matter what. And uh, <laughs> well, of course they tell you, you know, if you're going to give your life to Christ, you need to tell somebody. So yeah. I went home and I told my mom and my mom got angry. She was Confess very, your mouth. Yeah. she was very angry with me, you know, and of course, you know, condemning, wow, all those people think they're so much better than me and blah, 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 and all that kind of stuff. Oh boy. My mom, but my mom, she was involved in the occult. She used to read tarot cards. She took me to a few uh, psychic fairs and things like that, right? You know, so obviously the enemy had control of her thoughts and her and her way of looking at things and stuff like that. So anyway, so we had some disagreements about that, but I still kept going to church anyway. And then uh, I went to university that fall, got accepted to engineering at McMaster, and I was there for the first year, but I realized that it just wasn't the right course for me. I wasn't cut out to be an engineer, you know, so I dropped out and I started working. In the meantime, you know, I had split up with that girl. We had gone our separate ways. And when I started working full time, um, I ended falling back into that same, you know, party type scene with uh, people and things like that. And, and uh, you know, I didn't really have much fellowship. And so my, so the seed kind of fell on rocky ground and, and I kind of fell away from, from the Lord. I never, never, ever 
stopped believing in God, never, ever forgot giving my heart to him, but yet I didn't walk with him. So for a number of years, um, you know, that's kind of how I lived my life. I was getting tired of that whole party thing, you know, going on. Yeah. And alcohol, stupidity, things like that. And How old uh, were you then, John? Sorry, around what age? I'd be 20. Okay, yep. Yeah. I had seen an ad in the Toronto Sun for nuclear operators. And so I I applied. I went for my interview. I uh, I wrote my IQ test. I had my medical. And then I didn't hear anything for months. And then they called me. I had just been stepped up to the supervisor in the place I was working at. And uh, they called me at work and they said, hey, do you still want to be a nuclear operator? I said, yeah. And they said, okay, well, go to Deep River. Be there next Thursday. And I said, thank you very much. And I hung up the phone. I said to my coworker, where is Deep River? Because I, <laughs> I didn't drive, so I had to hop on a bus. I went from Toronto to Ottawa for six hours, and then I got on the little milk run from Ottawa to Deep River, three and a half hours. Wow. And when I got on the bus in Ottawa, it was completely full, and there was only one seat that I could sit in, and I sat down beside this young, drunken Scotsman, and I'm a friendly guy. I said, hey, how you doing? My name's John. And yeah. I said, oh, my name's Tony. And I said, where are you going? He says, oh, I'm going to Deep River to be a nuclear operator. But oh, my God, that's not what I'm <laughs> here, you know. And uh, and it wasn't, you know, there was just like nonsense going on all the time in the evenings. Yeah. And, and it was hard to to uh, find some fellowship to kind of draw me back. So I ended up in Bruce County working at the, the Bruce Nuclear Power Site but, uh, in 1980. Five. I had I had grown up in high school with a couple of close buddies. Uh, the one guy was Scottish. His parents were funny people, and and the other guy, um, his dad had uh, fought in the Second World War in Burma and things like that, and and nice people. And we used to go over to uh, my friend Ken's house on Saturday night, the Scots guy, and we'd watch the Leafs play and drink all his dad's blue. And uh, <laughs> and we played Risk every Friday night and every Saturday night we'd go and yeah. you know watch Lisa and drink blue. And um, <laughs> one Saturday night we were watching the game and the uh, lights kind of fluttered. We were in a in a developing subdivision, and mm -hmm. the uh, there was lots of building going on, lots of uh, you know houses being built and you know all the utilities and things like that. So somebody came downstairs and said to us, "Hey, there's you know there's." been an accident right and that's why the power went off and came back on somebody came and got my other friend marty who was in the, the three of us and said hey your your brother dave younger brother dave's been in an accident so what happened was we i went over to uh to marty's house uh shortly after that and i knocked on the door and I, I, his mom came to the door and i said uh, i heard that uh i heard that david had an accident is he okay and yeah. she said no he's uh he's dead and i said well, what happened? And so I guess his younger brother, Dave, who's 12 years old, was kicking a soccer ball around in this field near a, near a transformer station. And the ball went inside the fenced area and he climbed in to get the ball and he slipped and fell across the phases and got electrocuted. Oh and no. Died instantly. And, uh, and so that was, you know, traumatic for that family, right? Horrendous, yeah. So years later, like I had been riding bikes, right? When I got, when I got hired as a nuclear operator, I bought my first bike, a Cowie 650. First ride at KZ 650, first ride I ever took was from Mississauga to Deep River, six hours, never ridden a bike before in my life. Wow. And uh, hopped on and had that, that ride. <laughs> but my friend Marty, whose brother had died, he was always interested in fast cars and things like that. And and he had bought a bike. After I had, I got rid of my KZ, I bought in 1983, I bought an Interceptor 750, first one in my area. 
and I sold it and I didn't have a bike and Marty had just bought a 500 interceptor. And so I gave him my bike jacket because he needed one. So anyway, I was, uh, it was May of 1985. It was around that time, like, you know, I was, I was hanging around with uh, my friends and we were into the party scene again and all that kind of stuff. And, and, you know, um, like I, I had one friend there, um, him and his buddy, they shared a place and this guy, was probably the most naturally gifted athlete I've ever met in my life. The guy was a scratch golfer. He was an excellent hockey player. He was a, a pool shark and yep. he was a triple A fastball pitcher, right? Oh man. But he struggled with booze and he struggled with drugs. Yep. And uh, so every month at this particular bar in uh, Port Elgin, they used to have a, in the summer, they had a pool contest. And so he won it in July of this one year or June, I think it was. And he won a thousand bucks. You know, this is back in like 1984, right? So a thousand bucks, a lot of money back then. Well, he spent it all on Coke. And then that's right. That was a, a like billiards, right? Like billiards, yeah. Billiards, yeah. Billiards, yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the next month he won it again. He spent it all on Coke and had a big party, yep. and, you know, and, and it was, and it, God was starting to, to kind of pull the scales off my eyes. You know, I, I kind of looked around and I thought, you know, I'm not really interested in this lifestyle anymore. Like, why am I doing this? Like, why why am I kind of wasting my life like this? So uh, anyway, those two things that happened. And then I still go to a bar and I, I drink, but I was cutting back on my drinking and because I was losing interest in it. And I went yes. from drinking whatever I was drinking to a light beer, you know, thinking that was better, <laughs> that kind of thing. I was trying to cut back because my internal spirit was telling me, you know, there's, you need to change. You can't live your life like this. And it's yes. it was just like, like I, I would go into a bar and like God had taken the scales off my eyes. I'd look around and go and I'd look at people drinking and all this stuff, but it's not the same. When God takes the scales off your eyes, it's not the same. And I looked around and I thought, what am I doing here? Like, this is just so senseless, right? Yep. And uh, anyway, around that time, Ken called me and uh, he said, uh, I said, oh, hey, how are you? Because I hadn't talked to him for years. He said, I'm okay. And I said, uh, what's up? And he said, well, he said, I just wanted to let you know that Marty's been killed. And I said, what no. do you mean? He said uh, he was riding his bike down South Down Road in Mississauga by the ghost station. And this lady turned left right in front of him. Bang, he T-boned the car and got killed instantly. No way. So in the space of a few years, like that family, lost their only two boys. And then, and then the, the, the dad died of cancer and the mom died shortly later. And the whole family was wiped out in the space of 10 years. One of your best friends did that. Yeah. At the time, right? Yeah. So... And, you know, and I had, get, he was wearing my jacket when he died, right? Mm -hmm. You know, but like, even, even that, it didn't really kind of wake me up. Do you know what I mean? Yes. So, but, but God was still drawing me. And so around that time, um, I had, again, you know, gone to the bar, nothing else to do, right? Go to the bar. And so I was in there and was uh, hanging out with one of my buddies. And, uh, and I said, uh, Dave, I said, uh, who's that girl over there? And he looks and goes, oh, that's my cousin Louise. And I said, uh, well, introduce me to her. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we walked over and, uh, you know, she said hi to me and, and yep. much more. And, and uh, you know, one of my other um, uh, buddies was hitting on her. And so I thought, okay, well, kind of lost that battle and off I went. <laughs> and uh, anyway, uh, I uh, met her again later on at an after hours party after the bars had closed. And we struck up a conversation. And so we started hanging out and ended up, you know, dating. But yet yep. there, there was something about her that was so different 
from, from everybody else. And I could see the light of God in her eyes and on her face and in her composure and in the way she talked and things like that. And she was going to church and I didn't have any problem with going to church because I internally, I believed in God, right? right? So, you know, we started going to church and I gave my heart back to the Lord. And so that started this whole journey with, uh, you know, God leading me to to different things. Now, as uh, one of our other interview guests said, you know, it's been, there's valleys and there's mountains that you go through and there are, and it's never, you know, roses and all that kind of stuff because we get saved, but that's just the starting point. And then God has to deal with us to cleanse us and, and uh, help us, you know, through through the uh, the highs and the lows, or help us through the lows and help us to grow and help us to become more like him. And so it's been, it's been quite a journey, but you know, it's, it's the best, best thing that's, that's ever happened to me. Obviously, you know, I try to share my faith openly with people. I'm not shy about my faith. I probably be bolder and, uh, but I pray for wisdom and pray for direction and guidance to do that. You know, part of this reason for sharing my testimony here is, is part of that. So, uh, you know, as I said, like I, I love to play my guitar. I don't do it well, but I do like to play my guitar and I like to sing and, you know, I've, I've led worship in church and done outdoor Christian concerts and things like that. And, and uh, so, you know, kind of, kind of what I'm trying to expand into is um, more music and, and the, the helping out with the podcast and the, and the radio programs and things like that. Right. So that's, uh, that's kind of where we are now. We're just trying to touch as many people as we can. Yes. Well, it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, most people that I've spoken to, including myself, you know, you, you find God, it makes a difference. It does make a huge difference. I was very transformed when I met God. However, life continues and you have to grow and you have to learn, but you have the benefit of God being there. Would you say, John, that God was with you the entire time? I think so, because I never gave up on my belief of God. Like if somebody asked me if I believed in God, I'd say absolutely, right? You know, that, that never left me. It was my relationship with him that wasn't where it should have been, you know? Yes. But, you know, in the last little while, with this whole isolation thing of uh, being at home and being off work and things like that, you know, God's really drawn me closer to him, like in my morning devotion times and, and uh, like I write in a prayer book every night and things like that. And mm-hmm. it's God has just shown his faithfulness so often in answering prayers, even, even just uh, spending time with him quietly in the morning before the day starts. And I started to acknowledge him, uh, the three different persons of God, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit. So I started every day by acknowledging the father, as the creator of all things, including myself, he knew me even before he formed me in my mother's womb, right? Yes. He knew me. And, you know, when I, when I do get to heaven, one of the first questions I'm going to ask him is, why did you give me those two as parents? Of all the people you could have picked, why did you give me those two, you know? Because of all the grief and the nonsense and, and yes. you know, like, like even like my dad, you know, like uh, he, he got remarried had another son. They ended up splitting up. Basically, he went from riches to rags, destroyed his life completely. And you know, like, I got to go back to this. There was, like I had said, when I grew up, there was, uh, you know, that real anger and bitterness and everything, right, in my heart. Okay. And it takes time for, for God to deal with us about those things. So when I was working at the plant, I had gotten type 1 diabetes in 1993. So I was 33 years old. I had a mortgage, you know, I, uh, 
I had issues and problems that I was dealing with and, and trying to work through. And at the end of one work day, I was standing uh, in the shower, getting cleaned up and getting ready to change back into my, my civvies. And I was praying and I said, God, I said, how can I talk to people? What can I tell people about you? I said, I can't tell them, I can't promise them health because I have type one diabetes now. I can't promise them happiness because I have issues that I deal with that get me upset every now and then and things like that, right? And I said, and I can't promise them wealth because I have a mortgage and I have bills to pay, right? So I can't promise them those three things. And as clear, without a word of a lie, Dave, as clear as your voice is to, to me right now, I heard God say to me, he said, I put forgiveness in your heart and you can love your dad. And it was so clear. And I'll be honest, I, I, after that point, you know, I didn't hate my dad anymore. I didn't, I wasn't angry with him. I didn't yeah. like them. Right. You know, I didn't like him, his personality and things like that. And, and, and so on. But, and I mean, I really didn't have a relationship with him because he was hardly ever home. And then he left when I was very young. So, and he started yeah. his new life thing. So I had no relationship with him. And, but yet I didn't have that bitterness and that anger that, that ruined my mother's life. It was gone and still is today. You know, God's real. Like he'll meet us where we are. And it's just a matter of being open to it. The, the thing that he's shown me most recently in this, this past COVID thing and stuff is just like his grace and his mercy and his love and his faithfulness. It's just so real. He wants to hear us call out to him. He wants to hear our voice. He wants to fellowship with us. And I've struggled with having a, a relationship with my heavenly father because I had no, I have no idea what a relationship with the father is like because I never have. Okay. So that that's a struggle that I've had in my Christian walk. But God is faithful and he's been helping me work my way through that. And as he reveals himself to me, little by little, you know, more and more over time, um, I'm starting to really understand that. And so I've, I, obviously I've got a way to go, but it's been quite the journey. Awesome. Well, I mean, you're, you're very honest about it. And uh, I mean, that's where we have to start. Thank you for sharing with us today. I know that I'm looking forward to uh, maybe possibly doing some music with you, sir. Yeah, me too. That'd be great. Great. Um, thank you so much for talking to us today. I hope that God blesses you in your future and all of your endeavors. And, and, and I personally want to thank you for your involvement with Refuge Freedom Stories and Refuge Ministries. It's been good getting to know you as a brother in Christ. Absolutely. Likewise, I've enjoyed working with you guys and I enjoy being a part of the ministry. I think it's a, a very viable thing to do. So one thing that I want everybody to know is that we all come to the Lord with baggage. There isn't a single person in the body of Christ that doesn't have something in their life that brought them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter what your situation is. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter what you've been through. No matter how dark it is, God loves you. And God wants to change your life and let you know that he has a relationship with him waiting for you. If I could say anything, uh, reach out to God. God is there to meet you. Just ask Jesus. Say, God, just come and meet me. 
you know, reveal yourself to me, help me out of the situation, just send somebody to, to come and cross paths with me that knows you, something like that, anything. Just reach out to God in whatever way you want to, and he will meet you in a way that will change your life. Amen. Thank you for that, brother. Amen. That's John Tavner for Refuge Freedom Stories. I hope that you have enjoyed the last half hour as much as I did. Thank you again to Refuge Ministries Canada for hosting the show. So until next Friday, may God richly bless you with peace, love, and happiness. Hi, this is Dave Shear, the host of Refuge Freedom Stories, asking you to save the date and join us Friday, September 18th at 7 p.m. for a great night of Christian music with legendary Texas hippie soul man Danny Brooks and his beautiful wife, Little Miss Deb. This memorable concert can be viewed virtually on YouTube, or via the Refuge Ministries Canada webpage at www.refugeministriescanada.com. Your donations toward this event make it possible for all to watch and be blessed. Please consider supporting this event through one of the many options on our webpage. All proceeds support the Youth Prison Ministries of Refuge Ministries Canada and also support the Refuge Freedom Stories radio show and podcast. For more information, call 1-833-586-0523.